Today's episode of the Andy Staples Show is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, 10, or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. Over 19,000 companies trust NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com listen. That's netsuite.com slash listen. Hey, this is Andy Staples. Thank you so much for stopping by. We got a great show for you today. Matt Fortuna, one of my fellow national writers at The Athletic, joins us. We're going to talk a lot about the Michigan State opening, but if you want to read more about that, read Nick Baumgartner and Colton Pouncey's story from Sunday night about how Luke Fickle is still the top target for the Spartans, and also follow our Green and White Noise podcast. That features Chris Vanini and Colton Pouncey. They talk all things Spartans. And man, there's a lot to talk about right now. But now Matt Fortune and I will talk about the joys of a February coaching search. And we have the first edition of a new game that we're going to play here on the Andy Staples Show every once in a while here over the next few months. Something we like to call draft analysis or erotic fiction. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, February coaching search edition. Who knew? There are not supposed to be any coaching searches in February, but sure enough, there is one. Michigan State is still seeking a coach. There's been flight tracking. There's been shoegazing. There's been all kinds of craziness because Mark D'Antonio decided to retire two months too late. To make sense of it all, we're going to bring in Matt Fortuna from The Athletic, one of our national writers. Matt, how much have you enjoyed the zaniness of a February coaching search? You know these are supposed to happen in, in November, December. I feel like there's more attention on this one because it's the only one going on. Like you said, I mean, they call it silly season uh, around the post-Thanksgiving time for a reason. And there will be at any given time 10, 15, maybe even 20 coaching searches going on at the FBS level. And when you have just one and no one really knows what's going to happen, we know there's one main target and no one knows which way that target is leaning and what's going to happen if that target says no. Um, it, it certainly adds to the, uh, the the sleuthing, if I'm saying that word right, uh, online, especially with the pictures coming out today of people's shoes and heels and who is or isn't on a plane. Um, that's next level, and I'm here for it. It was beautiful. Okay, so for those who don't know, the job is open. You obviously know Mark D'Antonio retired last week. So the Michigan State job is open. There were two obvious candidates right away. Former Michigan State defensive coordinator Pat Narduzzi, who is now the Pittsburgh coach, and Luke Fickle, the head coach at Cincinnati, former Ohio State defensive coordinator, longtime Big Ten guy. So Narduzzi very quickly and hilariously takes himself out of the running with a video from the Wolf of Wall Street where he puts his head on Leonardo DiCaprio's body and says, I'm not leaving. I ain't leaving. So he's staying at Pitt. Mel Tucker, the other person who was rumored to be up for this job, confirmed the rumors by saying, I'm grateful for Michigan State's interest, but I'm staying at Colorado. That leaves Luke Fickle. 
And so Bill Beekman, the athletic director for Michigan State, flies into Cincinnati Saturday night. On Sunday, the plane leaves. And as it's leaving, a TV reporter from Cincinnati takes a photo of the people getting on the plane, except he's blocked by a gas truck, and all you can see are a pair of sneakers and a pair of nude heels. And obviously, these are not the shoes known to be worn by Bill Beekman. So the internet sleuths went into action, Matt Fortuna, and began finding photos of Luke Fickle's sneakers in various situations, (laughs) circling the sneakers in the photo at the plane. And then, of course... 46 minutes after it takes off from Cincinnati, it lands in Lansing, Michigan, and our own Colton Pouncey was there, and I hope Colton's okay because I believe he fell in the snow trying to run from one side of the airport to the other and get some video of people getting off the plane. There was no Luke Fickle. This, it almost reads like a murder investigation, right? When you go back through photos and say, what was this guy wearing during this time and is this fit this guy's style of wardrobe? It would be next-level trolling if... Knowing that that gas truck uh, was blocking off the reporters, if Bill Beekman or Luke Fickle or whomever else was party uh, a part of that plane flight, uh, put on heels just to kind of troll everyone and, and, and throw everyone off. I mean, why not at this point have some fun with it? It's already gotten ridiculously absurd that we're here on February 9th and we have a Big Ten head coaching head coach job opening, and who knows what the domino effects of that will be uh, when all is said and done. But um, it's been a, a much busier post-signing day Sunday in February today than it has in recent years, that's for sure. Yeah, and I love that all of the college football world's eyes are on one coaching search because that makes it even more fun. I wish there were some groomers or whatever we called the Bob Stoops <laughs> to Florida State rumors. I wish there was it's, some. It's XFL season, Andy. Come on. Oh, I. Th- there are some Florida State fans who who weren't going to believe it until they saw Bob Stoops take the field with the Dallas Renegades. Well, guess what? He did. He took the field. So he he is not. Mike Norvell is not holding the seat warm for him and Stoops is not coming riding in later so uh, I know there's some folks that are very disappointed about that but so what do we make of of Michigan State coming back to Lansing with no coach on the plane I, I think it doesn't mean as much as people think it means because when this usually happens in November you've got to get the new coach on the ground recruiting immediately right now it's a dead period you can't have anybody on your campus you can't you know, host a visitor unofficially or officially. You can call people, but that's really about it. You can't go on the road. So what sense would it make to say, okay, you're hired. Come on back. Go, 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 go. I mean, they, they've got a board of trustees meeting on Friday. They could do the business there. Uh, they could, I don't know, if let's say Luke Fickle took the job, he could meet with his team and tell them he's leaving instead of the old text message thing that some of the coaches do. I, I I do feel like we're reading too much into no coach on the plane. Yeah, I, I wouldn't read anything into it one way or another. Um, again, there's no, I don't want to say there's no sense of urgency on Michigan State's part, but yeah, like you said, this is a different time of the year. They, they don't need to rush a hire for the sake of rushing a hire. They're not competing with any other schools to try to hire someone at this point in time because they're their only school with the head coach opening. So they can take their time, do their due diligence, hash out the details if Luke Pickle is, in fact, interested in becoming the next head coach in Michigan State. Um, it, it's been, you know, not, not nearly as big as a head coach opening like this, but 
you know, I, I cover a lot of Notre Dame. I host a Notre Dame podcast. I mean, with the new signing period and just with the different calendar now, I mean, they still have two full-time openings on their coaching staff, and they're not alone. I mean, I don't think LSU has hired someone to replace Joe Brady yet. So They ha- they have not, and they're, they're interviewing somebody next weekend, I believe. They've had one or two people in already. Uh, they are not really in any rush. So they're, it's, they're it's just take their time. It's just weird that we're still t- – I mean, I was at Boston College earlier this week. They start spring practice 13 days from today, February 22nd. Northwestern is later that week, same week as well. So um, it just the whole calendar. Uh, the more and more we get used to this early, and why why I say early, it will it will and probably already is known as the traditional signing period in December. Um, the way it's just you know screwed up all our calendars or, or made us recalculate the way uh, these kind of moves and this kind of news happens. Now Michigan State again is a bit of a different animal here, given that it's a head coach that we're talking about and that he resigned or retired or whatever you want to call it on the eve of the second national signing day. Um, but I, I don't know what's going to happen if Luke Fickle says no to Michigan State because it sounds like all along it's been Luke Fickle or bust. And while it would be a bump up to go to the Big Ten, there are real questions that not just Luke Fickle, but I think any prospective candidate has about what is going on here. Why is this a situation where you had a respected, tenured head coach who has the wins record there resign almost abruptly in February when, um, look, it, it's clear that you know for on-the-field purposes, this should have been done in November or December, and uh, nothing seems to add up here. And then you see the Curtis Blackwell stuff, and um, you have some questions about uh, potential NCAA issues, and he's hiring Thomas Mars on his side. I mean, the new head coach is going to want to know if they're going to be playing with one arm tied behind their back when they get there. And this is already a hard enough job when you're in the same division as Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, uh, who all are, I wouldn't say all have it rolling right now, but are, all are in really steady, stable, and good positions right now, at least relative to Michigan State. Also, you just had 10 players invited to the Combine off a team that wasn't particularly great, which suggests that the players behind them are not as good as some of the Michigan State players of recent vintage. And all this said, though, Matt, I think this is a really good job for the right person. And by the right person, I mean for Luke Fickle. Because here's a guy who's been in that division, who understands exactly how Ohio State recruits and why they get the players that they get. And they understand, he understands the infrastructure. He, the problem with a lot of these guys is they have no idea what they're actually fighting against. They don't know what they're up against. I think James Franklin does because he dealt with Urban Meyer in the SEC. So he knew what that was like. He, he had to play against Alabama. He had to play against teams like that. So he understood more what he was up against with Ohio State. I don't think the rest of the Big Ten really understands what they're up against. I think they know Ohio State's good and they get all the good players. But I don't think they, they quite grasp how Ohio State structures itself. And the thing is, Luke Fickle does. And I, f- I find that having that sort of insider knowledge where you can essentially recreate what they do. Because look, Michigan State's got money. Now, you can't go hire Mickey Marotti. You're probably not going to hire Mark Pantone away from them. But you can hire people who do similar things. And you can build a program maybe not quite as talented as theirs. You might not be able to get quite that level of recruit year after year after year. But you can get some pretty darn good ones and you can get pretty close. I can see it both ways. I agree with everything you just said about why Luke Fickle will want this job, why he would be good at it. 
why he should say yes. Uh, I don't think any of those reasons are debatable. Now, I do think the timing could give him or anyone pause, but that's been pretty well established. I think he's learning more about this Michigan State administration and athletic director than I think anyone on planet Earth knows about them right now. Uh, and I think that's very important to a guy who has basically lived in coaching one state and at two places his entire career, which is virtually unheard of when you've had the level of success in this profession that Luke Fickle has had. You're talking about a new president, an athletic director who has little to no athletic experience and who has not been front-facing at all since he's gotten there. Um, I, I can understand why Luke Fickle would have a lot of questions because he'd be leaving a really good spot. And let's face it, Cincinnati probably isn't going anywhere if he comes back next year, and he's going to have another round of people coming after him. Maybe not as big as USC, but look, his last AD did just leave for USC, and eventually, maybe in our lifetimes, they're going to fire Clay Heldon, or he's going to resign or retire or win a national championship or go to the NFL, but he's not going to coach there forever, I don't think, as much as the administration at USC tends to want him to. Um, So I... I can understand why Luke Fickle would have pause here because there's just so much unknown about who he'd be working for and what he would be up against from potentially a, an NCA and a resources standpoint, especially in that division. So um, he can take his precious little time and milk this for all, for all he could possibly get as far as I'm concerned. If what Curtis Blackwell accused Mark D'Antonio of is all they got, I'm not worried yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not – I mean – I said that more in a general sense. I don't think what's out there right now is all that debilitating. But uh, Mark D'Antonio did resign in the most random time of the year. Yeah, it, it is and, suggesting that there's there's something else yes, we haven't seen yes, yet. I, and that's yeah, what we get that. Well, it, it, here's my thing. My question, if I'm Luke Fickle, is, is the checkbook open? And if the answer is yes, and I don't mean open for my salary. I understand right. that I'll get paid well. I want... Huge money for assistance, and I want huge money for staff. I want I want to hire the the biggest staff in the Big Ten. That that's what I would demand if I'm Luke Fickle. Because guess what? You can demand that right now. Because if they don't get him, where do they go? Correct. Because two guys that that are really good choices, Pat Narduzzi and, and Mel Tucker, are already out. So my guess is they're not getting back in. You don't put your face on Leonardo DiCaprio's body <laughs> and say, I'm not leaving, and then leave. It doesn't work that way. So you, you've got to figure that Luke Fickle has the upper hand in terms of leverage here, and he can say, I want this many analysts. I, so when Bruce Feldman and I did our story about how far ahead the SEC and the Big Ten mm-hmm. are of everyone else in terms of money, we, we did some checking with some folks at Ohio State to find out exactly how big their recruiting operation is. There are 11 full-time employees dedicated to football recruiting at Ohio State. 11. They also have student helpers and and the same things everybody else has, but 11 full-time employees. If I'm Luke Fickle, I'm saying, here's the organizational chart for the Buckeyes. We're going to do this, and you're going to pay for it. And if they say no, well... I'm going to enjoy winning the American Athletic Conference title next year at Cincinnati and then having my pick of jobs. So that's the only that's that's what you say if you're Luke Fickle. It's funny. I, I never thought I'd put these two programs in the same sentence, but the way you just described it, I couldn't help but think of Greg Schiano going back to Rutgers and all the back and forth that went there. And Greg Schiano essentially saying, like, look, this is bare bones what we need to even compete or have a chance to compete in the Big Ten. And I'm not suggesting Michigan State is no, this that is, far down. This is down, the jumbo championship exactly, version of that. Exactly. This is, this is what you need to compete for a Big Ten title, which, again, I think they know at Penn State 
They certainly know at Ohio State. I don't think anybody else in the league has any clue how that works. Yeah, I agree. I would agree with that. And if Fickle ultimately says no, I don't know where they go. Um, Narduzzi had maybe the tweet of the year. I'm not sure they ever actually reached out to him. I think that was more preemptive than anything else. And yeah, it would be hard for, for either party to go back that way. But I don't think... Uh, I, I think if they don't get Luke Fickle and not that, I guess he you know, kind of would be following the same path as Mark D'Antonio, but I think they want a clean break from the D'Antonio coaching tree and from the last regime. I don't think Pat Narduzzi would be squarely in that mix. It sounds like Robert Sally has reportedly said no from the 49ers. Pat Shermer, maybe they take a look at. I don't know if he'd be fully qualified for that or if he would want it. Matt Campbell's another name that's been thrown out there, but as far as I'm, I, I know, um, he may not he, take it either. He, I mean, he, he doesn't want it. Yeah, I think he, he likes. He where went he is. down the road a little with Florida State. They they remember when Florida State set up the press conference? Yep. And then didn't have one. That's because somebody there thought they were getting Matt Campbell. Yeah, and, and it, it, that's another they didn't one get him. who reminds me of Luke Fickle in terms of cultural fit. And I, I see the fit there with Luke Fickle because he coaches a style of ball that has won big games at Michigan State. He's from the area. He knows what it takes to win at the highest level of the Big Ten. Um, but, yeah, I, I can see from the outside looking in why him or other on-the-rise coaches would, would, especially at this point in the year, want to just stay put and and see what's out there the next year. I mean, I was talking to a former NFL scout this week about Michigan State, and he's talking way back now to the Saban era, the John L. Smith era, not necessarily the D'Antonio era. But he said, well, I was in the NFL – we would have our big board in there, and we'd have our alerts like anyone else, medical alerts, legal alerts, red flags. You hear it all the time when, when you hear draft picks talk on TV. He said they made their own separate column for Michigan State players because there was just so much crap that was always coming out of there uh, during, during those regimes. And so much of it was being hidden for, from not just the public, but from the NFL scouts who would go there trying to do recon. So I, I don't know how much it's changed. I assume it's changed a little bit. I mean, the, now the, that we're the in the 21st actually, century. <laughs> I, actually, I actually did a story for Sports Illustrated before I left uh, about which schools are most open to scouts. And I talked to, to quite a few NFL scouts, and they weren't particularly fond of the way Mark D'Antonio's regime handled hmm. that. They, they felt... It wasn't so much that they felt that anybody was dishonest or anything. They just felt like it was it was too restrictive. Like you couldn't get in there when you wanted to. Because these are guys that that are used to if they call Alabama and it's three in the morning on a Tuesday. Oh yeah, somebody is opening the door for you and has coffee and donuts ready. And what do you want to watch? Because Nick Saban understands that the best recruiting tool he has is players getting drafted high. So that's they were a little you know kind of didn't quite understand why Michigan State would be that restrictive. But, I mean, you look at some of the players that have come out of Michigan State, they're just really good players. So it's not like anybody's hiding anything in particular. The Connor Cook thing was a little weird where the NFL teams just acted like he was radioactive and the Michigan State people said all the nicest things. And, of course, why wouldn't you say all the nicest things publicly about your guy? It's bad for recruiting if you don't. So I, I don't I don't know where that that necessarily came from, but Well you know, if you I, found I, his dad's Twitter feed that would open that a didn't lot of help. Eyes. <laughs> that that didn't help either. And, but yeah. when you're a quarterback, that I mean, if you're gonna draft a guy to be the face of your franchise, that's where that really hurts you. If it was a DB or someone else, I think you could overlook that a little bit more. I just I think this is a good job, and I think Fickle's the right kind of guy for it. The the thing about Fickle that has impressed me the most because 
he had the one year of, of interim coaching experience at Ohio State before he became the head coach in Cincinnati. And let's be honest, that year was a mess. There was nothing he could have done about it. He just got thrust into a really bad situation and had to deal with it. But he gets to Cincinnati, and Tommy Tuberville did not leave much for him. The, the cupboard was pretty bare when Luke Fickle got there. And he got what was there whipped into shape and better immediately. And I think that is the most promising thing. That suggests to me he can take whatever's at Michigan State right now and make them more competitive than they were last year and then start recruiting on top of it. Because remember how many four-star recruits Luke Fickle had in this Cincinnati class? I, I do not, but I think this past class ended up being ranked higher than Michigan State's, if I'm not it mistaken. Was, it was four. Or it might have been three. It was either three or four. But Michigan State had zero. So this is a guy who you, you put the the white S on a green background on his chest, and all of a sudden, he's bringing in some pretty good talent. And, you know, look, the staff at Michigan State was great in the past at finding those diamonds in the rough. I think Fickle can keep that up, but I think Fickle could also bring in some of the guys that, that were a little bit higher ranked. And, and look, Michigan's it, class of 2016 aside, that was a mess. But every once in a while, they would get a highly ranked recruit like Will Golston, who was a pretty good player for Michigan State. So, you know, it, it's not like they couldn't recruit before. They could. In fact, they were they were maybe the best evaluating staff in the country for a while. But I, 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 evaluation wise, I would I would agree with you. And it, you know, I think Urban Meyer made the point on Fox during a broadcast earlier this year of. Yeah, we go in there, and they would have a Dark Wizenar. They would have a Le'Veon Bell. They would have these Trey, guys Trey who, Waynes, yeah, who, who first-round picks who got overlooked in high school, recruits. but they went out and yeah. found them and developed them. And they just weren't really doing that lately, it seemed like. Yeah, so they could get back to that with Fickle, and that's why I keep bringing him up and, and keep going back to it. Uh, you got to get him, guys. You, you got to. <laughs> that's uh, I hate to be doom and gloom, but that's, that is really your best option. Whatever he wants, give it to him. You're in the Big Ten. You have more money than you know what to do with. So do something with it. Give him what he wants. I want to I move to another school in the Big Ten, though, Matt, because you had a really good story this week about the 2016 Minnesota class. And this was the only class signed by, by the Tracy Clay staff. But holy cow, it became the foundation for what this P.J. Fleck group did this year and how how did that class come together uh that's a great question and i think it's a testament to a, a really good year in the state of minnesota because they had a lot of in-state recruits and they got most of the top players in the state that year and these guys you know through a lot of bumps early on i mean it obviously didn't end pretty for tracy clays and uh, I, I imagine it didn't start on the smoothest of terms with pj fleck just because that's a guy who's so in your face that it, it's got to be like a splash of cold water to, to these guys who were signed up to play for one coach and then have a guy coming in screaming row the boat every five seconds. But um, it, it they eventually stayed for one. And I know PJ Fleck likes to say that Bo Schembecker line, those who stay will be champions. And it sounds corny, but these guys did stay and that doesn't always happen, right? I mean, the transition classes, the turnover classes between two staffs are usually the ones that, uh, 
end up getting you know the, the short end of the stick and just kind of fizzling out and becoming a lost cause. That obviously wasn't the case here. I mean, there were some really, really good players uh, who ended up getting recruited here. Antoine Winfield, a unanimous All-American this year, who declared for the NFL draft. Carter Coughlin, who, who's up on the leaderboards of all school records for tackles. Tyler Johnson, who broke every receiving record uh, in school history. He grew up six miles from campus. Carter Coughlin's grandfather, I think, used to be the interim AD there, and both his parents were athletes there. Same with Thomas Barber, who had relatives who played at Minnesota. So they did a really good job of putting a fence around the state, so to speak, getting those guys. And once those guys stayed, they got developed and turned out to be really good football players. And it's very similar, um, I think, to what happened, I believe, on a smaller scale at Western Michigan when P.J. Fleck had gotten there. Um, they had a lot of players who, who were kind of in-betweens, didn't know what to do with. And over the course of two, three, four years, these guys all uh, grew up and matured into really good football players. Now, did any one of their wildest dreams think that this would be a program that by year three, by 2019, would finish top 10 in the nation and go 11-2? and two? Probably not. Um, I think a lot had to come together. But again, so often with these transition classes, and I talked to a couple of people on staff about this, uh, you could see either they're all going to revolt and go their separate ways, or they're all going to bunker down huddle together and get through it and come out the other end finished products and uh again this is a group that threatened to boycott uh after uh, threatened to boycott the holiday ball i should say after 10 teammates were suspended as part of a school's response to a sexual assault allegation and um there were not a lot of happy people there both in the football building and the administrative building uh when everything was going on there and eventually they get pj fleck who was coming off a countable appearance at western michigan and uh, one thing leads to another. And even, you know, I should say, going back a few years, I went there in the spring of 2018, which was after their first full season there, the first regular season. And they had gone five and seven. And I spent a couple of days around that building. And I'm trying to think of like an appropriate way to say this without sounding condescending. It was the happiest, most excitable group of five and seven football players I've ever been around in my life. It just didn't seem natural or normal. And, you know, part of it was part of me was saying, what are you guys so excited about? You won five games last year. You won nine the year before with a new coach. What are you, what are you so excited about? And the other part of me is like, well, you know, there's something to be said for creating an environment that 18 to 22 year old kids genuinely look forward to coming to each and every day. And that's what PJ Fleck creates. And, they broke through the year after by beating Wisconsin, making a bowl game, then winning the bowl game. And then obviously we all saw what happened this past season um, where they beat Penn State at home and they, they beat Auburn in a, in a huge upset in the Outback Bowl. So um, you can say what you want. You can laugh all you want about P.J. Fleck and a lot of his mannerisms. Uh, the guy knows what he's doing, and he's done it now at multiple levels. And he's done it with not a great class or one great player it's multiple classes with quality players and building on the line of scrimmage. I mean, that that's the, the craziest part of this. I mean, Minnesota was dominating Auburn on the line of scrimmage, and it wasn't like Auburn's best defensive lineman sat out the, mm-hmm. the Outback Bowl. They were all playing. Derek Brown was playing. Marlon Davidson was playing. Big Cat Bryant was playing. They were all playing. And Minnesota was manhandling them up front. I, I think that bodes well for them in the future because – they, they did a good job this year of mixing the young and the old, but it definitely seems like the young are ready to, to step forward and make this team their own. 
You know, it's funny you mentioned that. So I was at the Nagurski Trophy banquet in Charlotte after the regular season ended, and Derek Brown was there up for an award, as was Antoine Whitfield, and P.J. Fleck was there, and we were chatting, and I had been at a breakfast table earlier in the morning sitting next to Derek Brown, and I, I remarked to P.J., that's the largest human being I think I've ever actually sat next to in my life. Like, good luck trying to block that guy uh, in your bowl game in a couple of weeks. And he said, yeah, I'm going to go up to him later and say congrats on declaring early for the draft. I heard all about it. Should try to get him out of there. And obviously we know Derek Brown stuck around for the bowl game, and Minnesota still won that game. And what's even more exciting, if you're a Minnesota fan, all those starters are back on the offensive line with another uh, returning starting quarterback in Tanner Morgan, who uh, when I had first read Max Olson's piece and when I talked to him about it, about that 2016 class, uh, I had forgotten that was a Tracy Clay's class. I was like, oh, of course it's going to be a good class. You know, they had Tanner Morgan. They had these guys. It was P.J. Flexer's class. And I was like, wait a minute. No, it wasn't. Wait, wait, that was only four years ago. It just seems like a lifetime ago. In some ways, it is a lifetime ago if you're a fan of the Gophers. And so, um, you know, you have the tremendous story of, of Tanner Morgan a year later having committed to P.J. Fleck at Western Michigan and following him to Minnesota kind of uh, on blind faith. And obviously that worked out tremendously well for both parties. Uh, you have now Rashad Bateman coming back, who's going to be one of, if not the best receiver in the country. I absolutely destroyed uh, Penn State in that game, uh, that, that breakthrough win to go 10-0 at home when they rush the field he had over 200 yards i think that game and again when you have those big boys up front blocking and a quarterback who's worked with them before i think the rest almost takes care of itself and they have a lot of experience running backs coming back as well on top of that so offensively this is a unit that that should be ready to take off even more so than they were last year even despite the fact that they lost offense coordinator kirk schrock out of penn state all right matt you get to be the first person to play a new game. We're going to feature this game on the Andy Staple Show between now and late April. And I'm, I'm worried I've made it a little too easy tonight, but, but this is the first time, so we just got to work our way through it and figure out you know, how, how it actually works. But we're going to call it draft analysis or erotic fiction <laughs> because I've noticed that a lot of draft analysis... Sounds like dirty books. So I think it's time that we try to figure out which is which. This sounds like, on the subject of Michigan State, it sounds like uh, reading Magic Johnson tweets and finding out if they're real or not, like Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossello would do. This is awesome. I'm ready for it. That's exactly right. Both these things are real. Someone actually wrote both of these. What you have to figure out is, was it a draft analyst or was it somebody writing a book (laughs) with a shirtless pirate on the cover? So here we go. Number one, passage number one, strong, long, and slippery. Passage number two, like a lepidopterist mounting a tough-skinned insect. Which is draft analysis and which is erotic fiction? When you said shirtless pirate, I was thinking of Bruce Feldman's book with Mike Leach, but so I guess that kind of straddles both lines. I'm going to go with number one, strong, long, and slippery being the draft analysis. Okay, you are correct, and I think I made this one too I, I easy. Hope, I hope that was correct with it's, that one. It, <laughs> it's, it's the first edition of the game. I, I'm going to make this tougher next time. But that one came from our very own Dane Brugler at The Athletic. He was talking about Missouri defensive tackle Jordan Elliott in a tweet last week. He said, I don't think Jordan Elliott has talked enough, talked about enough as one of the better defensive tackle prospects in this class. Strong long and slippery 
The second passage came from the novel The Shape of Her by Roman Somerville. And yes, he... he, Did you Google this? Do you own this? How'd you come across this? I Googled this. Okay. And it it, it has occurred to me that I'm probably going to have to do some leafing through the the summer read section of the bookstore to find some more of these. I'm going to have to take some pictures with my phone, I think, because, you know, the, the best or worst is what gets highlighted on the internet. This is from a top 10 of worst book sex scenes of the last 10 years. And it's actually not even the worst. But yes, there, there's, there is a sex scene where he compares the guy to a butterfly researcher. Let me, let me throw okay. it back at you. Could you take that analogy and put it on a guy who might get drafted this spring? Absolutely. Absolutely. An offensive tackle locking out against a bull-rushing defensive lineman, like a Lepidopterus mounting a tough-skinned insect. He pinned him back. Is that what Steve Spurrier said to describe you and ultimately sell the staff on welcoming you as a walk-on of Florida? Never once. He had no idea who I was. (laughs) Jim Collins, the poor linebackers coach who recruited the county where I lived, he got talked to by so many people, my high school coach, my dad was an assistant principal at another at one, another school in the county, so his football coaches all all talked me up. They they made me sound really good and then I got there and they're like, "Oh, we've been sold a bill of goods." So, it's okay. It all worked out in the end. But yes, I I was never like a lepid- lepidopterist mounting a tough skin insect. Although, the University of Florida, now this was after I graduated, did create a great lepidoptera research facility. There's a beautiful butterfly garden by the Museum of Natural History. It is possibly the greatest first state in America. Take somebody wow. to the butterfly garden. I was already engaged or married by the time it opened, so I never got to, to take advantage of it. But yes, uh, if, if there are any University of Florida re- freshmen listening right now and you want to really do it up big for your first state and score some points, it's right across from Southwest Rec Center. It's the big net. Take the date to the Butterfly Garden. Take her for ice cream. You're going to be doing okay. And Andy, I hope you are still married at the end of the segment, assuming your wife doesn't check your search history for all of the exotic descriptors we had to look up uh, for the debut of this segment. Segment. What are we calling it again? Drafts, drafts analysis Draft analysis or? or erotic fiction. There we go. Erotic and fiction. I'm going to make it much tougher, like a tough-skinned insect next time. Matt Fortuna, thank you for playing. Thank you for winning. I'm stumping the next person, though. I got a free copy of that book, right, for winning? Absolutely. It will be in the mail, The Shape of Her by Roman Somerville. It, According to the, the site I'm reading, uh, it deals with a, quote, typical idyllic summer romance ruined by dark shadows from the lover's past. So, I mean, that's that's a beach read right there. My, my wife just looked up at me as I said the word erotic fiction and mouthed, um, what the, you know what. Uh, so it'll be fun trying to explain this segment away to her after I hang up with you. Ladies and gentlemen, the Andy Staples Show. <laughs> Matt Fortuna, thank you so much for joining. Thank you, my friend. That's it. I promise a much more difficult edition of Draft Analysis or Erotic Fiction next time. I got to get to work. I'll be at the bookstore if you need me. Hey, hey, hey.